This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The press invitations came in purple envelopes and were stamped top secret. Elizabeth Taylor had an announcement to make. There were no details offered to the press other than the time and location for the event. Top secret meant just that. And of course, everyone came consumed by curiosity. What was the classified information Elizabeth had to share? A breakthrough in her war against HIV AIDS? Another marriage? Was she a spy in disguise all this time? No, it was something no one saw coming. Elizabeth was about to launch an empire. The power of scent. Of all the senses, scent is the most evocative. It reaches into that ancient part of our brains, the limbic system, where emotion, memory, and desire reside. It's the part of the brain that holds the expression of our souls. And Elizabeth Taylor had reached into her own and bottled it. I'm Katy Perry, and this is Elizabeth I. This is Chapter 7, Empire. Elizabeth had always wanted to do her own fragrances. She had been combining different scents and mixing things up. It's like a palette for the scent. And she layered fragrances, as she said, was always doing that. Elizabeth followed her intuition, knowing that there was another chapter of success waiting for her. If she could capture a scent that matched her passion and get it on the store shelves. She could share her passion with the world. As much as I know, the opportunity came up. There was a woman, Ruth Manton, who put together a deal with a fragrance company and then brought it to Shen Sam, and Shen brought it to Elizabeth. So Shen Sam, who was like a sister to Elizabeth and her publicist, she put together a top-secret press conference. That top-secret press event was the announcement and launch of Elizabeth's first commercial fragrance named Passion. Today, we're used to celebrities having product lines, to celebrity brands as corporations with manufacturing and retail partners. I have one of my own, as a matter of fact. But in the 1980s, artists were considered sellouts by the American audience if they commercialized their name. If and when they had the opportunity to endorse a product, they typically went overseas. Out of the American audience eye and slapped their name and face on someone else's product in a pure commercial play. For the world's biggest stars like Elizabeth, even doing that was unthinkable. Understanding oneself as a commodity was critical to managing a public image and even negotiating one's contracts with studios or record labels. But putting yourself out to the public as that commodity 
grabbing power over that reality and then capitalizing on it, well, that was taboo. It just wasn't done. And then Elizabeth did it. She had enough gravitas and confidence in who she was that she could claim the power that she had that was hers. The commodity of Elizabeth Taylor that she had earned and own it. Literally. During the first four months of its launch in the United States, Passion generated 36 million in retail sales. In 1988, in the US alone, the sales reached 60 million, or what would be nearly 140 million today. When the fragrance was introduced to the European market, it enjoyed the most successful launch of an American fragrance ever. Although there had been stars before her who had slapped their name or likeness on a bottle, Passion was the first successful celebrity fragrance. And that success is directly due to the artist, Elizabeth's personal involvement with the brand. She did it differently. Elizabeth was involved with the making of the scent, the she, it was it was a part of her. It's not just somebody paying her to put on a t-shirt or to put on a pair of sunglasses. She's actually the product. It's her brand. She's in the development. She's sniffing everything. Uh, she has terrific and tremendous input into a product that is a reflection of her. Well, uh, I didn't just loan my name to the perfume. I actually worked on it for a year and a half. Uh, I had something to do with the bottling, the packaging. Uh, the name was mine. Uh, the actual scent I worked on for a year and a half. So it isn't an endorsement. Uh, I'm in partnership with uh, Unilever Perfumes International. And it's a business venture like any other business venture. It happens to be one that I chose because perfume has always fascinated me. So it's something I was interested in before I decided to go into it. Uh, and therefore, because it interests me, it's something I get a great deal of joy out of. And I work hard at. By 1989, the success of Passion was so market-breaking, Elizabeth expanded her fragrance empire. What began with the top-secret press event had evolved into a fragrance tour, with a launch in Paris, France, naturally. And another surprise announcement. Hello, I am delighted to be standing in this magnificent room with all of you today. I believe there are over 500 of us here, representing more than 35 countries around the world. In fact, the entire press event is being translated into two languages that truly proves that whenever Elizabeth Taylor speaks, the world listens. I'm here in one of my favorite cities in the world, a very appropriate city, if not the most, to talk about another one of my passions. Um, the secret is really not much of a secret. It's uh, to do with my passion for men, which uh, I have in abundance. And fortunately, now I've been able to bottle it. So all of you can get a smell of it. It's Elizabeth Taylor's Passion for Men Cologne. And I hope you all like it. And... Uh, 
it's something I worked on for over a year, and it's just the way I like my men to smell. I hope you do too. Bye. Thank you, Miss Taylor. Maybe they want to have some photographs. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Adidas, Walmart, Nike, Wine.com, Samsung, Lenovo, Sephora, and more and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. now Elizabeth Loveman and they her. This is no surprise. Her loves are always associated with her. But what's rarely discussed are the great male friendships she enjoyed. And boy, did those fellas like their new cologne. Here are a few of my favorite notes sent to Elizabeth once her friends had had a chance to enjoy the new scent. From Sammy Davis Jr. Dear Elizabeth, Next to walking into a soul food kitchen, it's the best smell I've ever experienced. With love, Sammy. From Paul Newman, there is no way to distill Elizabeth, but if there could be, this would be. And a passion for living, loving, and giving, the heart of a friend, strong and true. Elizabeth Taylor, that's you. With much love, Johnny Cash. After the extraordinary success of her first fragrance endeavor, across Passion's entire product line, Elizabeth's industry partner wanted more. A second perfume line. Something next level. But although Elizabeth was thrilled by Passion's success, she didn't shine to the idea of trying to repeat or surpass it. Plus, her work with HIV AIDS required a tremendous focus. And she had suffered a relapse in her battle with addiction. Elizabeth returned for a second and final stay at the Betty Ford Clinic in 1988. But her fragrance partners believed they could capture lightning in a bottle. Again. And they had an idea for Elizabeth, which, in order to get her approval, required a little finesse. Elizabeth wasn't necessarily looking to do a new fragrance. And... She had done her fragrance. It was big time successful. And she was satisfied. The fragrance company had a very different idea. So this man named Joe Spellman, a wonderful creative man, he came to Elizabeth's house and he called Elizabeth and said he'd like to come to her house to meet with her. And she said, Joe, I'm not going to do another fragrance. And he had this whole thing planned. 
he had a box, a whole presentation box. So he said, that's fine, Elizabeth. I just want to talk to you about how your business is doing and things like that. And just say hello. I'm in town. So he comes to meet with her in her big white, all white living room. It's a ranch style house, uh, California, but it still has that glamour. So big white furniture, big overstuffed furniture and white shag carpet. Uh, and, you know, it was a wood beamed ceiling. Anyway, that's where she generally took meetings, unless they were upstairs in her bedroom. And so Joe sits down, and he waits, and he waits, and he waits, and eventually she comes down. And he has the box on the table. And Elizabeth says, what's that, Joe? Because typically you brought her a present. And he said, oh, sorry. I just put that there. That's not for you. And he put it on the floor. And she said, but I want to see it. He said, no, 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 no. It's a fragrance and you don't want to do another fragrance. And she said, oh, cut the bullshit. Let me see what's in there. He opens up the box and they had taken her name off of it. It turns out it was a concept for white diamonds. And that's what it was called. White diamonds. Hello. I mean, Elizabeth had a 69 carat white diamond from Richard Burton. And she had the, the Krupp diamond, which is now called the Elizabeth Taylor diamond. 33 carat, Asher cut, flawless, color, clarity, an extraordinary stone. That wasn't going to belong to any other person than Elizabeth Taylor. And she immediately said, that's my fragrance, Joe. Let's get to work on the scent. My name is Ron Ralston. I'm the general manager of fragrance for Revlon. I have been in the beauty industry my entire professional career. So even though I've only been in one business, I've gotten to do everything in it. It's been my lifelong passion. I've always loved what I've done. Um, and along the way, I've met a variety of interesting people, whether they be designers, actresses, musical talent. And it's just been a really fun ride. I've had a terrific time. To come on the heels of a success like Passion and help design and launch a second eternal scent for Elizabeth Taylor named White Diamonds, well, you better understand her core. So Ron's journey with Elizabeth began at House of Taylor, her home. When I met Elizabeth, one of my earliest memories of her was the first time I ever went to her home. Like all people, I was in awe. I was fascinated. I had no idea what to expect. And I, you know, I mean, it was a rare privilege. I mean, when you think about the idea that people would wait in line, I'm sure, for hours and hours, which I witnessed, just to get her signature or, you know, her autograph in relationship to a perfume purchase or something of that nature during the launch of like White Diamonds, as an example, the idea to actually go to her home and sit down with her, I mean, what a rare occurrence for someone to have in their life. And at the same time, because what I do has a creative component to it, the idea that I would actually get to sit and talk to her about the development of a fragrance product was a really wonderful thing to get to do because the beautiful thing about what I do is that it is a significant creative process. 
You get to work with the design of bottles, which I would argue are sculptural in nature. You get to create these fragrances, you smell them, you participate in the development process with expert perfumers. And then in addition to that, you get to work with creative agencies to build the concepts around these brands. So, I mean, from a creative perspective, there are all these different touch points that I genuinely enjoy and appreciate. So when I got to go to her home for the first time, we were talking about products that we developed. And I remember getting to drive up to the house and to go into her living room. And, you know, it was like, this is unbelievable. You know, it was the type of thing that I could tell my mother and she would listen because my mom and I would sit around and watch movies together. My mother loved black and white films. We were from that point in time. And, you know, whether we were watching Humphrey Bogart and To Have or Have Not with Lauren Bacall, whatever the movie was, The Music Man, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, this was my mom's wheelhouse. And here was this incredible star of enormous magnitude. Her son was actually going to get to meet her. So there I was in this home, and I remember being touched by different things. Like, if I remember correctly, she had a Medigliani on the wall. And I remember at the same time seeing pictures that had been drawn with Crayola crayons by a young artist. The way a grandmother or a mother would have from their grandchild or their children, whoever might have given it to her, there was this art as well. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, what a fabulous sort of contrast. What is truly valuable in life from a monetary point of view versus that which touches your heart when it comes from someone you love who took the time to do it. So, I mean, that was one of the things that resonated with me upon reflection. And then you go into this living room and you see an Oscar. And it's like, oh, my Lord, you know, again, this idea, something that one would have only seen on television. When you met her for the first time, she was warm. She was human. She displayed an interest in you and what you did and what your role was in the business. One of the things that we did, because it was justified, was that she had a business card that said that she was Elizabeth Taylor president of the Elizabeth Taylor Beauty Company. And the truth of the matter was, when it came to her brands, we took direction from her. She was very clear about what she wanted. And in the midst of all that, over time, I came to realize that these visits to her home were actually a creative developmental experience for me. And there you are getting to create a fragrance with her and you're humbly presenting your idea, which she's enriching at every turn as you speak to her. The things that were made were made because she would bring down a piece of jewelry from her bedroom and say, this is what would be inspiring for me to see be created. Use this color of ruby red when you create this red bottle. Well, this, this is the kind of story I want to tell we would present ideas, she would respond to the ideas, and they went from concepts to something that was her own through her lens that became beautiful products that women liked and wanted to own because they were her, they were true, they were genuine. Authenticity is everything. Authenticity is what gives it value, which is what makes it true. 
But how do you nail that authenticity in the fragrance itself? How do you create and manufacture the scent of Elizabeth Taylor? Master perfumer Carlos Benaim, who worked with Elizabeth to create the white diamond scent, walks us through the history and process of how white diamonds came into being. My name is Carlos Benaim. I'm a master perfumer at IFF, International Flavors and Fragrances. And uh, my work uh, is a creative one more than a scientific one. It's more about uh, creating fragrances, all kinds of fragrances for men, for women. The creation process is a very interesting one. It's really very similar to other artistic processes. It always begins by free association, by letting your mind wander and letting yourself um, freely make associations, connections, letting your mind just have images, in my case, sometimes olfactive images, sometimes real images, sometimes auditory images, uh, any kind of thing that comes to mind. And then when all these ideas float in your, in your head, eventually they coalesce into something that you really want to do, uh, meaning you are starting to put the ingredients together that you want to work with and the mood that you want to explore. And then you start doing the experimental process, which is to start mixing those ingredients. And many times they don't smell exactly the way that you planned. Uh, so you have to really, uh, it's a lot of experimentation, a lot of uh, trial and error until you come up with something that is called, quote unquote, an accord, like a chord in music, which is combinations of of ingredients that together have a different smell because they are together and they work together as a smell. And then once you have that and you have several of these, you put them together and you try to have a perfume that comes out that has certain characteristics. Not only that they should have a, a specific smell, but also some physical characteristics, like they should really diffuse around the wearer that you should be able to recognize it two or three hours after a woman has been wearing it and that uh, it that it would evoke emotions and and a strong reaction in people it should be noticed the sense of smell is a very you know hits the older brain uh, the older part of the brain and so it's really very directly connected with emotions and, and sensations, uh, unfiltered emotions and sensations. So when you sometimes you would smell something that will be reminiscent of somebody, the impression might be so powerful that it might be even more powerful than a picture. So we use those, those characteristics to really try to influence you know, try to provoke emotion in people. People, it's like a piece of art. When you look at a beautiful piece of art, you should feel something. It should, it should uh, do something to you. And we are trying to do the same thing when you are wearing a fragrance and you are walking and somebody is figuratively hit by that scent, that there should be a strong reaction of love or hate, but, but powerful. We aim for love. 
<laughs> when I was involved in, in creating the fragrance for Elizabeth Taylor, um, I was sent to meet with her in Los Angeles, in, in Beverly Hills, because for a year, uh, people at Elizabeth Arden, which was a company that was developing the scent at that time, have been trying to satisfy her, to try to, to please her with several ideas, scents that were sent to her, and she didn't like anything. For one year, she was rejecting everything. So there was, they were a little desperate, and they decided to send me, and at that time I was a young perfumer, um, to meet Elizabeth and try to understand really what she was after. And so what I decided to do very, uh, I guess, innocently <laughs> was to literally test her. I thought, well, you know, she mentions what she likes, uh, but, you know, does she really mean that? So I decided to take 10 fragrances and have her smell them blind. She looked at me like she was not exactly pleased with the whole idea. She, you know, she has beautiful eyes, those violet eyes that looked at me. I thought she was, they were going <laughs> to kill me, but she was very gentle and very, she really played the game, uh, which was very nice. I mean, I, I felt uh, that she was a very, in French, they say bienve bienveillant, you know, like somebody who is really kind, good spirit and kind, kind to you. So she went over all the blind tests, which means smelling those 10 fragrances without knowing what they were. And what is interesting is that she recognized the three that she specifically had mentioned that she wanted, that she liked. She was like right on the money. She was extremely clear that that's, ex that's where she was after. That's what she was after. And they were very bold fragrances, very strong, powerful statements. And you can imagine that that's exactly who she is, right? I mean, you would not, not expect anything else from her. Very powerful notes that people would recognize a mile away and uh, with very opulent flowers. So once I understood that she really knew what she was um, mentioning, what the fragrances she was mentioning, they all had the characteristic, that characteristic. So you, I knew that I had to make a fragrance with very opulent flowers, with tremendous impact, with tremendous recognition. So that was clear. And then I asked her about what kind of flowers were her favorite flowers. And she came up with something that was in none of those fragrances. She came up with a Narcissus flower, uh, which is very interesting because, uh, first of all, it's not such a common flower. And it so happens that at IFF, we have the only production in the world uh, done in France uh, of the extract of that flower. Um, and that flower is very, you know, as a, it's like a green jasmine effect, but sometimes it has a very animal feeling. It's, it could smell like, like if you're smelling horses in a way. 
you know, it's a very powerful. You could fill a whole room. Anyway, she said she loved that flower. Uh, but I knew what she was talking about because the flower itself had tremendous impact. And it had not been used in perfumery so much. And it was really unusually powerful. So when I, uh, my original idea when, when they had talked about white diamonds, because the name was already talked about, was that it should be something using aldehydes. Aldehydes in perfumery are ingredients that have tremendous uh, sharp, a tremendously sharp impact. Uh, so those ingredients, I thought, because they have that sparkling, sharp quality, would be perfect. So in my mind already, I had the flowers, the ingredients, the knowledge of the world she wanted to play in, in a way. Uh, those, uh, those fragrances I knew. Um, I understood how they worked. And so from that point on, I worked and starting putting together the, um, the composition, which was a combination of all these ideas, um, the strong flowery scent of the Narcissus, but of course mixed also with the jasmine notes of all the other fragrances she mentioned with the aldehydes that were very sharp and powerful, and uh, that big background that was so rich of, of mosses and woods and, you know, all those notes. So, so that's how it, uh, it evolved. <laughs> so it took, I would say, a year of work, of coming up with... Um, different compositions and, and and she would give her comments and and then they would be relayed to me and I would make the next iterations and she would receive one or two uh, out of the 50 that I have done in the back in the back office before I selected the best you know to show her. she knew when she had it <laughs> because I I kept on going, but eventually at some point in time, she was stalled on it. Once the product and every element of the brand was set, there was only one thing left to do. Launch the most successful celebrity perfume of all time. The brand had all the perfect elements for success. And the competition that she was up against at that point in time was really significant. At the same time White Diamonds was being launched, Calvin Klein's Eternity was launched, which was also a remarkably successful fragrance. This was very much a great time in the fragrance industry. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen.
to set herself apart, Elizabeth maximized what white diamonds, white diamonds had commercial that no other shot like a trailer for a, a blockbuster film. The there biggest was even one in a the short world. and long version, like the high-end music videos for MTV's biggest stars. Audiences hadn't seen Elizabeth in films for a while by the time the commercial hit, and she showed up on their televisions just as they most desired her. Single, sexy, wearing her diamonds in phenomenal form. Elizabeth shot herself straight into the zeitgeist. White Diamonds, the intriguing fragrance from Elizabeth Taylor. It was a brilliant piece of marketing, and it was followed up by the only thing her fans wanted more than seeing Elizabeth on screen. They would get her in person. Like with the Passion launch, Elizabeth went on tour. When the fragrances were launched, she went out and she went to different stores in different cities, like the flagship store in a city, and she was there. It was evident that this was her brand. It was something she loved. It was something she was committed to. She was right there. There's no doubt about it. She went on perfume tours and the places were mobbed just to see her. I mean, she was fabulous going through Macy's or, or wherever. I mean, to have Elizabeth Taylor showing up at your local Macy's, people came from far and wide to see her. Elizabeth agreed to do these fragrance tours, so that meant a store appearance at a department store in Chicago, then to North Carolina, then to Houston, then to San Francisco. So it was like six, seven states where she would go and do these store appearances, and, and they would had a Q&A. 10,000 people were showing up. It was crazy. Department stores that weren't set up for crowds like this. Uh, you know, they're in the aisles, they're around the, you know, the, the um, hanging racks with all the clothes. So the people are just everywhere. The White Diamonds Tour was launched with an event, and Elizabeth was ready. There was no studio that manufactured it, no husband who partnered in it, no industry specter looming in judgment from above, saying it didn't belong to her. This triumph was hers to own. So we're getting ready to go to this press conference. And this is the first time that I saw Elizabeth made up. There's security guards. They're keeping the hall clear. Everything has to be prepared and set. So when Elizabeth comes, we go. She's not going to wait. And so she walked into the elevator and she's wearing this tight royal blue Terry Mueller suit. Her hair is done. Her makeup is done. I never witnessed anything like that before. She was the most gorgeous woman that I had ever seen. She was breathtaking. She was stunning. And she just felt like the classic woman. You know, she was really feminine and really tough, but she never lost her connection to being a woman. And just seeing her standing there, and it just, I don't know, it was, it, there was nothing to say. You couldn't speak. And so we went to the press conference, 
it was a big deal. It was a paparazzi dream come true. Liz Taylor, live and in person, smiling for the cameras. She was here to launch her newest endeavor, White Diamonds Perfume. Not so fast, Ron Ryan. These have always brought me luck. This is Taylor's second fragrance. Her first, Passion, launched in 1987, ranks as one of the best-selling fragrances in the country. White Diamonds is more sparkling, fresher, saucier, younger. It's like making love in the afternoon, in the sunshine. And for what would become Elizabeth's flagship brand, Macy's stepped up to become an invaluable partner. So we're, we're going to the big Macy's in New York on 34th and 6th. And Elizabeth wanted to see the store before the day of the event. Because the day of the event was going to be so hectic and chaotic. And there are people on the street and there are photographers. And Elizabeth is supposed to get out on the sidewalk side of the street. But she gets out on the other side, on the street part. So it creates all this chaos with the security and all these people because she got out on the wrong side and she was basically going to go through the crowd. Uh, but outside of the store, they had put television monitors in all of the windows running white diamonds. They made the front of the store, the doors, into a huge movie marquee that said White Diamonds Elizabeth Taylor. And there was an enormous diamond on top of the marquee. And we walked into the store, and there were carpets with white diamonds, you know, with the branding. There were huge banners. The whole store had been done over into white diamonds theme. So many people, and they found a way to line them up along the walls and... The truth of the matter is people were just clamoring to see her. The lines out the store, you know, to get in just went down, you know, 34th Street, you know, and Broadway. And just the, the level of excitement, the, the buzz that was in the room. And, you know, it just attests to who she was and, and what she meant to consume to people. You know, I don't want to call them consumers because women genuinely loved her. And she did create this beautiful, exquisite brand with people, and, and she had such influence over it. And, you know, the benefit that I got in terms of seeing that event was to actually see this grand moment where all these people showed their interest in her and their passion for her. Elizabeth's fans packed themselves into Macy's just to get a glimpse of her. And for some, a chance to speak with a woman they clearly loved. Present Elizabeth Taylor and her new fragrance, White Diamonds. I know what you're waiting for, you've been waiting. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce Elizabeth Taylor.
day for wearing white diamonds. The fragrance. When you're feeling your sexiest. Up with the name White Diamond? Uh, somehow the company came up with uh, that name and brought it to me because uh, somehow they thought I was kind of synonymous with diamonds. It never occurred to me. So I love all the retailers that we sell to equally. But there was like one store in particular where, you know, her fragrances did very well, were launched. And they genuinely, I think, grew to know her and appreciate her. And when she started to raise money for AIDS, she would go to San Francisco and work with this particular retailer and they would have a fundraising event, you know, for her cause. There was never a doubt that Elizabeth's success in her fragrance empire would be folded into her great passion, the war against HIV AIDS. This is how you wield influence. You incorporate all that you have into every effort. Then take control of your success and direct it towards what matters most. You give your life's efforts meaning. So I would say that what happened was that people who were touched by her business recognized her for who she was. And in this particular example, you might say that the lines sort of merged or crossed over. One might say that it might not have been as evident if you would. It wasn't like buy this product and this will happen sort of thing always. But it was more about the respect that the retailer had for her. It was more about the respect they had for her cause that she was, you know, that she was passionate about. These things found their way more naturally than necessarily being like a marketing hook, if you would. People recognized that. And when it was important to them, you know, clearly there was this commitment together and it was moved forward and it benefited and helped people. She was the first successful celebrity to launch a fragrance. And if you think about it, 30 years. So it was only a very small group that she was competing against um, in the fragrance arena. And now everybody has a fragrance and yet hers is still successful. The success of White Diamonds is directly tied to Elizabeth's influence just as the success of her brand can be directly tied to her own rare authenticity. And part of Elizabeth's uniqueness was in the personal touch, her individual passions, the parts of herself and her life that she generously shared. She was the secret ingredient in her fragrance empire. We created a fragrance for her one time, um, our company, that was based upon the gardenias that were in her yard. And there's this technology called headspace technology. And what ended up happening was one of these expert perfumers who knew the technology went to her home, actually captured the gardenia fragrance that she smelled, and he recreated it in the laboratory. So when you would buy this gardenia fragrance, it was the gardenias that Elizabeth Taylor smelled when she sat in her backyard, you know, just reflecting on the day, having a cup of tea, whatever it may have been, sitting and chatting with a friend. 
if they went over near the flowers and they smelt the flowers, you too had that experience if you bought that fragrance of having the opportunity to wear something that was captured from her garden. Elizabeth's passions, her personal touch, and her genuine interest in and compassion for others is the glue of her brand. Over the course of her career, audiences, consumers, people felt a deep connection to Elizabeth. Her giving nature, her care, concern, and championship of others made her an accessible celebrity. No matter how grand her lifestyle was portrayed in the press, no matter how famous her loves and circle of friends, or astronomical the value of her diamonds, Elizabeth was a woman to whom people related. White Diamonds was a deep and direct connection to her, to her spirit, and, like a scent, constructed by master perfumers to linger on the skin and in the room, Elizabeth's generous spirit translated into a gift-giving phenomena for all who enjoyed it. Love is contagious. After working with Elizabeth for a period of time, like we do with all brands, we sit down and we talk to consumers about how they feel about the brand, what they think of the, you know, the person who represents it. You would expect everybody to be enamored in love with Elizabeth Taylor because she was one of the most beautiful women in the world. She was an award-winning actress. You know, she had a lifestyle that most people couldn't even imagine. This collection of jewelry that she had was just worth an absolute fortune. When I would talk to these women was the depth of the emotional connection that they had and why they loved and admired all these things about her that she had achieved. I think they reveled in her humanity and the life experiences that she had were not dissimilar to the ones that they had had. And for that reason, they had an emotional connection with her. Women would talk about following her and reading her and the challenges that she would have with loss of a husband or divorce and how they had the same experiences themselves. But the emotional connection that they had with her as a person was really, really strong. And it it just wasn't in a distance. It wasn't like on the silver screen. It was her as a person, somebody they genuinely cared about, that they believed in, that I, that I think that they also knew cared about other people. She had a, a remarkably loyal audience. And I think they have matured with the brand. And I think that they're committed to the brand. The benefit that we've had is just this loyal audience that comes back every year. White Diamonds is a brand that moms who became grandmoms wore. And maybe some of the grandmoms' daughters decided to wear it. For the people, if you lived in one of those households, you knew that at Christmas time you could walk into a store and you could see these beautiful Elizabeth Taylor gift sets. And we always went to dramatic lengths to make exquisite gift sets with packaging that would would appear bejeweled, if you would. And you could buy that and you could bring it home and you were going to get a win. And isn't it interesting that as much as Elizabeth was a giver of gifts and a receiver of gifts, elaborate gifts, small gifts, every kind of gift, and how much she loved that, that White Diamonds continues to be the huge success that it is today through Mother's Day and Christmas. It's the holidays where people are buying it as a gift for their mother, as a gift for their daughter, 
their grandmother, whoever, their wife, the gift-giving aspect of white diamonds is what lends itself to its continued success. After 30 years and a decade since Elizabeth's passing, white diamonds remains a top-selling fragrance in an increasingly crowded space. Everyone, it seems, had the same idea. Once Elizabeth found a way to put lightning in a bottle. By 2016, white diamonds had topped 1.5 billion in total sales. 20 years after its launch in the year 2011, white diamonds was the world's best-selling fragrance. That year, while Elizabeth's other fragrances combined to generate nearly 77 million, White Diamonds was in its own stratosphere, bringing in 61 million. According to Revlon, a bottle is sold every 15 seconds worldwide. Elizabeth did it. She was determined to forge her own path from the moment she was left alone and saddled with debt after Mike Todd's tragic death. And with her historic success, in her unique spirit of survival and triumph, Elizabeth mandated that 25% of her perfume royalties be donated in perpetuity to the Elizabeth Taylor AIDS Foundation. I think everyone knew how big White Diamonds was going to be. It was a beautiful scent, a classic scent. I love it because it was all over her clothes. So when I was arranging them in each city, it was I think it was a seven or eight city tour. All I smelled was white diamonds, and it was so good. And Elizabeth wore fragrance so well, because white diamonds is strong. And all of her fragrances are on the stronger side, but Elizabeth could just spray, 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 and it wouldn't be too much on her. Elizabeth loved fragrance. White diamonds was the fragrance. Passion was incredibly successful, and I think passion for men was successful, but white diamonds was the star. It always has been, and and I think it always will be. Yeah, she only wore her fragrances. So there was no point in buying her the newest fragrance or, or something that was historical. She felt that if she was going to put a fragrance out there, she had to believe in it, she had to back it, and she loved it. So she wore her own fragrances. You'd go into her dressing room and it would have a vanity filled with all of her fragrances. Oh, yeah, no, she, she really apparently wore it as her fragrance. It became the most uh, sold fragrances actually in the world, which was very amazing. Um, we were making enormous quantities every month at that time. It, it, it just took off. Hers is a follow the money story that lands you on the bright side of humanity. Elizabeth's empire is part of that warm scoop that her daughter-in-law described for us an enterprise fueled by the authenticity and passion of its founder and the special connection that people had with her. What is the key that starts that engine year after year, decade after decade, despite any bad gasoline that the press willfully dumped on Elizabeth to try and tarnish her? What was it about Elizabeth that rose above the negativity and made people want a connection to her as profound as owning her scent? Perhaps it's that she had been through so much tragedy and always found a way to triumph. Perhaps it's that she gave us all so many screen moments to treasure from our childhoods on. Or maybe it's that she loved so openly and with such abandon that the love came back to her 
tenfold. Whatever the magic, it was pure Elizabeth Taylor. I think it has the same allure and sensual quality that uh, a real diamond has. It has the sparkle, the warmth. When you inhale it, it gives you a, a very heady, sexy feeling. When you wear it, you feel very feminine. White diamonds are made to sparkle, and they make you sparkle. On the next episode of Elizabeth I. When Elizabeth came home, she invited people to stay at her house from treatment. And it was over Christmas, and Larry was part of that. She wanted me to be a bridesmaid. I said, Elizabeth, you're completely ridiculous. You you and old back getting married, and me and old back being a bridesmaid. I refuse. <laughs> it was a scary time because a couple days before, she had been diagnosed with a brain tumor. So we weren't sure if she was really going to be doing the show. She was in surgery for her brain tumor, and I remember sitting for hours on the floor of her hospital room waiting for her to come out, and it was scary. Her children were there. The dog was at Cedars for a while. I just adored her, so I sat there too, waiting for her. Elizabeth I is produced by Imperative Entertainment in association with House of Taylor and Kitty Purry Productions. Executive producers are Katy Perry, Jason Hoke, and Stephanie Koff. Elizabeth I is narrated by Katy Perry, produced by Jason Hoke, and written by Stephanie Koff. Sound engineering and audio editing by Shane Freeman and Jason Hoke. House of Taylor trustees are Quinn Tivy, Tim Mendelson, and Barbara Berkowitz. And its brand strategy consultant is Aaron Dawkins. Marshall Eskowitz and Kerry Schwartz of Sunset Boulevard serve as producing partners and represent House of Taylor for Elizabeth Taylor licensing and content opportunities. Joshua Klebe wrote and composed the original score. Additional music provided by Reese Tivy. Cover art and design by Gina Sullivan. If you'd like to support the Elizabeth Taylor AIDS Foundation, visit elizabethtaylor-aidsfoundation.org. And if you'd like to go deeper into the world of Elizabeth Taylor, keep an eye out for the first authorized biography about her life. Elizabeth Taylor, The Grit and Glamour of an Icon by number one New York Times bestselling author Kate Anderson Brower will be out on December 6. For more behind the scenes content, follow at Elizabeth Taylor, at Katy Perry, and at Imperative Podcasts on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Love the series? Don't forget to tell your friends and leave a review. Thanks for listening.